You are a very stubborn, unimaginative, and non-competitive race. Why do you refuse to enjoy the opportunities that I have given you? Enjoy? Welcome to another episode of Stargate Weekly. I'm Thad Haight. I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week, we're going to talk about The Gamekeeper. It's not The Gamekeeper, it's just Gamekeeper. No, it is The Gamekeeper. I believe you. But like, Trust but I verify? Like, no, 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 I like, don't like believe my own brain at this point, because I had it in my head for like this whole time that... Okay, so if it is called The Gamekeeper... TV Guide doesn't know that. I'll believe that, but the Stargate Wiki and my DVD called it the Gamekeeper. I trust your DVD and the Stargate Wiki over TV Guide any day of the week. Right. So, speaking of TV Guide, what do they have to say about this episode? The team encounters a mysterious figure, identified as the Keeper, who traps them in a world where they relive pivotal moments in their lives. Okay. Yeah. So, Stuart, what do you remember about this episode? I get this episode confused with two or three other different episodes, which I think we discussed uh, in season one. Uh, was I, get, I get this one confused with the one with Bacello. Uh, I get that one confused How? with the one with, with Dom DeLuise. It's just okay, like, that I get. Any given, well, you know, any given episode where someone goes in and starts, like, playing around with their brains, they all just kind of, like, run together. In my mind. I get this one and the one, I think, from season seven, where they're in the the um, planet with the, 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 in like the alternate, re- the holographic reality under a shield that's progressively shrieking and killing all the people confused. Oh, wow. I haven't thought of that episode since I last saw it like five years ago. It's a better episode than this one. Okay. Well, I mean, that can almost, I mean, you could probably pick the best episode from this season and compare it against the best episode of season seven. Oh. And season, season seven would come out on top because they just keep getting progressively better. Sure. Until, like, well, season seven, I'd say, is the peak. Yeah. Yeah. Seven or eight's the peak because they have like the weird, they have like a semi reset when, um, well, Seven is the last season with Hammond of Texas. Yeah. Oh, uh, what's the actor's name? Ben Browder? Yes. Thank you. Uh, yeah, when, when, when Ben Browder joins the cast, nothing against Ben Browder. I love him. He's amazing. And his kid. He's just not Richard Dean Anderson. He's no Richard Dean Anderson, and quite frankly, Sam should have been the lead of the team. Yes, and the, especially because in season eight, she was. Right. And, I mean, they're the same rank. She's been there longer. 
Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason at all. Like, it's harumph. Yes, I agree with you on that. But anyway, yeah. Um, so I'm going to get this out of the way at the beginning of the episode. This episode is suspiciously very similar to an episode of Star Trek Voyager that aired a few years earlier. Are you promising me right now that there will be no more Star Trek references? I am not, because I have one other Star Trek thing to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, there's a Voyager episode. I think it's from season two. Uh, It's called The Fall. Um, And it is, well, the same scenario. Planet had suffered an apocalypse. The survivors were stuck in a VR world. And... In that one, it was the VR world AI that was keeping them there because it didn't want them to leave, but it was still the same basic idea. So I kind of wonder on this one, the the Keeper has kept himself and the other 20 survivors on the planet, and as, we, as we've discussed a couple of different times in a couple of different episodes, they're not going to repopulate that planet. That's not a sustainable population. Yeah. But he's kept himself and 20 of his of his pals going for a thousand plus years. I, I forgot to jot down the exact number. Um, it was like just over a thousand. Mm-hmm. And in that time, the planet regenerated itself? Yeah, I was wondering that too. Like the only other reference point I have is Wally. Where it they're gone for just over they're gone for seven hundred years because they all received their septuagesentennial cupcake in a cup. Wow, look at that! And I mean, at that point, like a little plant has shown up, and I suppose at another three hundred years, and suddenly there's a garden. But it, it plants are fast, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're no joke. But yeah, it, it just. It, it it seemed like a fast timeline. I mean, maybe... How long does it take for radiation to go away after a nuclear blast? That's complicated. Yeah. Because it may be that the plant life was never fully... wasn't, like, full... It may be that it wasn't... Unlike Wally, there may still have been plant life. Because I do know after, okay. nu- after nuclear... Uh, the, the plants are pretty much okay with the nuclear radiation yeah if you're talking about like prepyat or hiroshima or nagasaki exactly um it, but if you're talking about like nuclear waste because you're talking about how they made the planet toxic if you're talking uh, about like nuclear waste oh that would take that would take millennia yeah good call 10 15 000 years is the half-life right um i mean i'm no expert um but I know that that's the whole reason why they want to hollow out a mountain and shove all that in there, and why they're also trying to come up with... Oh, the Stargate Wiki refers to Teal'c as Teal'c of Chulak. Oh. <laughs> well, hey, it's Hammond of Texas. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, you're talking about, you know, I mean, they can't get Yucca Mountain off the ground because NIMBY, but... Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're not resting on their laurels. They're also talking about, like, well, hey, what... Uh, what symbology should we use to indicate no touchy for some civilization 10,000 years in the future? Mm. Yeah. On the one hand, I feel like NIMBY is ridiculous. On the other hand, I feel like my opinion may be biased because I have a nuclear plant in my backyard, more or less. Yeah, that has, in fact, actually sort of, like, had a bit of a problem. The biggest problem the U.S. has ever had. Yeah. Eh, whatever. So, my other Star Trek thing. Mm-hmm. I have not, I do not watch this episode every time I rewatch because 
I'm not overly fond of it. It's not terrible, but it's also not great. Uh, and somehow, I have seen it a few times though, and somehow it was not until this time that I realized that the that the keeper is played by Dwight Schultz. Go on. Dwight Schultz is more famously known as playing Howling Mad Murdoch on the A Team, and as Lieutenant Reginald Barkley on Star Trek. <gasps> wow! So, Stuart, listener, Stuart clearly had also not put this together. <laughs> I yeah, he, he seems so familiar to me. It, I it's think like, it's the it's, voice. I think yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's it's the uh, um, affectation that he's taking, mm-hmm. and the fact that every time he runs, he has his hands clasped firmly together in this like weird praying gesture. Uh, yeah, did you notice that? Yes, I did. Yeah. And the hat. The hat is quite silly. So I have to feel that if they're casting an actor for this role, the role of someone who wants to keep everyone in a simulated world, there had to have been at least someone drawing the parallels to Barkley. Oh, yeah, God. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there's no way that was an accident. No, no. It's like, oh, just, just just talk in a funny voice and wear the silly hat. People won't 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 recognize you immediately. <laughs> also, the guy who plays uh, the colonel who dies is such a that guy that he has played two other characters on Stargate. Nice. I didn't. Well, my I mean, my thought on that one was okay. So, so Jack and Teal'c, who we then find out is named Thomas in this memory. Yes. Um. And I don't understand why Thomas couldn't be bald. Just how ridiculous was bit. Thomas's hair? Yeah, his hair was quite ridiculous. Uh, but here's my thing. Okay, so 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 Jack and T look are are there, and they're getting their bearings, and all of a sudden the truck pulls up, and Jack's like, "Whoa!" Uh, and out hops Kowalski and John. I can't remember John's last name. Michaels. Uh, it's whatever. Yeah. So Colonel Michaels and and Jack's a you know Jack is all John. It's Colonel. Can lower your weapon, Captain. And we then, like, not even ten seconds later, actually, this is the one you die on. So, A, clearly, Jack and John didn't have much more of a relationship after this day. Right. But they were did have enough of a relationship... For him to tell him to take care of his wife. That, and that he... That Jack felt comfortable calling him John. And what little I know about Special Forces, and so much of this is probably influenced by popular culture, Mm -hmm. but what little I know of it is that they are generally a fairly close-knit group. And so if these guys are both Special Forces and have been working together for like like a while, then rank, to my understanding, becomes a little bit loose. Yeah, just in terms of like always referring to the other person by their rank, like that becomes mm-hmm. like, less strict when you're in special forces, especially when you're in the field, uh, or maybe it's maybe like maybe it's when you're not in the field. I don't know. It doesn't matter because I'm not an expert. Um, but clearly, Jack felt that he and this guy had had enough of a relationship that he called him John, but. It just the timing it all, all of it all and all of it, it just it was weird. Yes, I would agree. I mean, with we that. Like, we we needed the line there 
so that it would reinforce to us that this was a something taking place in Jack's past. But right. I feel like I feel like someone else could have said it rather than Colonel Michaels correcting him directly. Like someone else could have been like, John, come on, man, we're in the field. It's Colonel Michaels. What about the third guy that we, we are never introduced to? He could have said like Captain O'Neill or something. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, uh, that guy could have been very useful in this scenario. Like, there were three of them, right? I feel like there were three of them. Yes. Uh, I mean, at least three. Uh, I, I don't know if there were any more than three, but there was there was Colonel Michaels, there was Kowalski, and there was the sniper. Yeah. 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 There was something else uh, from, this, uh, from this sequence that felt like it was almost shot out of order. Oh! It was after they run into Kowalski and Colonel Michaels, and... Mm-hmm. Jack and Teal'c have this, like, sidebar. Yeah, that seemed weird that they would have been like, yeah, well, we'll just walk over and, yeah. No, no, well, okay. But it's it was the context of their conversation where it was some races have experimented with messing with people's timelines. It's like, okay, you have hair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, like, should we not... Like, should we not have had this conversation before I took your your cap off and discovered you had hair? Because that conversation would have held a lot more water if you weren't dropped into my memories with hair. Like, what the heck? Like, we're clearly not in my own timeline. Yeah. Teal'c, what's with the hair? <laughs> yeah. Sick reference, bro. My references are out of control. Everyone knows this. Mm-hmm. So it also felt weird in Daniel's memory... It just seemed really weird, like, to see his mother look up to, look, like, you know, look at his face, so, like, look up and, like, talk to him like he's a little kid. Yeah, yeah. Daniel's memories definitely felt weirder. You could also totally see his father and mother diving out of the way of the thing, but... Yes, and the fact they're big foam blocks, they didn't, they did not actually get crushed by big blocks of stone you're right but even if the, what, what, what i'm saying is you could actually see them diving out yeah, of the no, way I know, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. like multiple times yes well it's probably the same shot each time but <laughs> yeah it probably was uh something that stuck out to me with daniel was how he wasn't able to articulate himself mm. it's like in this scenario, he was reduced to the vocabulary and, like, capacity of his former, like, of his young self. Yeah. Like, that That was that, that was odd to me. Also, what the heck were they wearing? They're just archaeologist stuff, I guess. No, because his parents, the archaeologists, are not wearing weirdo Renfair clothes. Hmm. I don't know. And who was Sam supposed to be? Yeah, that's a good... That, yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, Teal'c wasn't playing anyone specifically. It just, like, in the simulation, he was inserted as Thomas, who's been on this team longer than you have. Mm, that's fair. So Sam is just, that's your childhood friend, Sam, <laughs> who we've known longer than you. <laughs> yeah. And, I, I don't know, this, this whole episode just sort of... Is eh to me. Yes. The it's 
semi-canonically important, just in the sense... Well, okay, I mean, A, it fleshes out both uh, Daniel and Jack's backstories, and extra exposition is always welcome. Yeah. Uh, but B, we do f- see that this machine makes a return season seven? Season eight, Teoka's hair. Okay, 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 again. <laughs> yeah, like legitimate hair. Yes, uh, where it's used as a as a training simulation, and Teal'c is the uh, is like the test subject for it. I think it. that episode's called Avatar. Okay, um, and I will drop the Star Trek reference this time. Uh, that DS Nine episode where Worf and Martok and actual Bashir, not fake Bashir, are all prisoners of the um, yes. In purgatory, it's a two-parter. In purgatory, shadow, and by inferno's light. Okay, okay. Uh, who are the bad guys? The Jem'Hadar. Yes, thank you. Uh, and and the one like the Jem'Hadar. So 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 in this, um, they have like a fighting pit or whatever, and and Worf is constantly thrown into the fighting pit, and Worf keeps winning because he's Worf. Um, but at a certain point, he's fighting like the commander of the Jem'Hadar of the prison or wherever they are and the guy says um i'm gonna flub this a little bit and you'll have it better but i'm gonna do my thing uh like what is it like i uh like like i can only kill this klingon i can't beat him or something like that yeah and and that like that doesn't interest me anymore yeah that's effectively what he says yeah i cannot defeat this klingon all i can do is kill him and that no longer holds my interest I just watched that episode last week, actually. Wow. Cause, no, because I've been doing that uh, Dominion War. Rewatch. Oh yeah, you know, I saw that. That's probably why it's in my brain. I saw your stuff on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but those two. Kind of, so in season eight, when Teal is back in this machine, it's it's doing this training scenario where there's a foothold situation at at the SGC. And Teal'c just keeps losing, but keeps going. But he's locked himself into it because he thinks he thinks there's a way to win, mm-hmm. or something, or something to that effect. Like, that's what the whole episode's about. We'll yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. It and, like that, Teal'c doesn't give up. He never gives right, up. Yeah. He never surrenders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, and we'll talk about it again in four or five years, and hopefully, uh, one of us will make this reference again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, did you get the feeling that? Uh, like the very beginning of the episode where we're seeing the mount footage. Mm-hmm. Did you get the feeling that this was like Epcot? Kind of looked it, yeah. Yeah. Either that or like a really gritty bio di- biodome remake. So, that's another thing I want to talk about. These are some impeccably groomed uh gardens. How much time is Reg Barkley spending on these? Ooh. And if he is spending that much time, how is he not super old since he's coming out of suspended animation every time he comes out to tend the garden? Yeah, it does take some time to trim the hedges. Yeah, and mow the lawn and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And plant the flowers, weed the flowers, mulch the yeah. flowers. Yeah, it, there's... Maybe there are no, maybe there aren't any weeds on this planet. It's possible. And there may, he, there may be like automated stuff that he just has to press like the, you know, yeah, 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 like a, like garden Roombas. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering, when they step through the gate, Jack says, "Where there's a garden, there's snakes." Is he a referring to Gould, b referring to the Bible, 
or C, just saying Jack stuff? I think a combination of B and C. Hmm. So, interestingly, or not all that interestingly, really, but the only foreign language translation of this that is actually translates as the gamekeeper is the French version. What about the Italian version? Because that's always like wackadoo, and then the German version is always right on the nose. Honestly, the Italian one is virtual reality, so they went German on this one. The German <sighs> one's the German. better. It's virtual nightmare. Ooh. <laughs> but I like the Hungarian one the best, I think. Okay. Captives of Memories. Man, the German and the Hungarian... Yeah, the Hungarian one's definitely better, but like the both both of them are sort of like, like on the nose, but in the, the sort of like twisted sense, yeah. Yeah, they feel like Twilight Zone titles. Yeah, no, that's... Those are great. Wow. Man, the gamekeeper's so lame now. <laughs> I know, right? I'm still bummed that the first episode of season two wasn't Invasion Part 4. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my question. In 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 Jack's scenario, mm-hmm. I mean, they only run it twice, and they decide that we're just gonna, we're just gonna set these loops out forever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um... But I wonder, could Jack and Teal'c have been killed? Forcing the simulation to reset, like, not, like, killed-killed, but... I mean, I would think that would have to have been a possibility. Yeah, but, you know, they, they're assaulting the house, and everyone else gets gunned down but them, and Jack, like, runs right out into the open to grab the colonel, and then we hear the recurring line... So much for satellite recon. So much for satellite recon. <laughs> so much for satellite recon. Jack, take care of Barbara. Amen. So, one pro- uh, I, I honestly don't have that many notes about this, because like you said, it is it is a bit of a meh episode. Yeah. It's, just, it's there. I appreciated Jack saying, are you cracked, to uh, General Hammond. <laughs> well, I had made the note that just before that, he was like, and not meaning to, this time, sound like a jackass. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Smart ass, but yes. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Um, it's uh, when Sam is puzzling out what they're going through, and and then they meet the keeper, and all the people are hanging around. And I think it's, I guess it's Daniel who actually says, "So we're like new software for you." It's like, no, you're like new reality TV shows, mm-hmm. or non, or regular TV shows, or movies, because then you make that exact analogy. Like ten seconds later, and to say, yeah. I mean, uh, imagine if you were locked in a room for a thousand years with only a VCR, TV, and five movies. How long could you watch those five movies until you were bored silly? What you wouldn't give for just four more. That's what you are. You're four, and then another hundred more movies, or a thousand more movies, or whatever. Like you're a bunch of movies. And that and that line totally dates it to the '90s too, because it's a VCR with five movies. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like if they had just said like a TV with five movies, then that like is like that's will eventually become dated, but yeah. has more legs than VCR. Yes, kids that are listening to this because Don't our podcast drugs. appeals <laughs> become a podcaster and be given them for free. <laughs> but uh, a VCR or video cassette recorder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would play VHS, video home system tapes. You are correct, video home system. Boom. 
Uh, and so that's, that is what predates DVD and Blu-ray and just streaming stuff. Uh, or whatever it is you kids are doing now, however many... Downloading it directly to the chip in their brain. Right, yeah, exactly. Or it's like, yeah, who knows what. Uh, like the VR stuff mostly holds up. Although, seriously, the first time I got sucked into those chairs, the first thing that went through my head was, I've been on the internet long enough, long enough to know where this is going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when he's talking about VCRs, Daniel Jackson is, uh, he's talking about, you know, like a, you know, predates DVD players, predates Blu-ray, a way of getting recorded video onto your home television. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. The first... Uh, commercial. The first commercially accessible, readily available to the public way of watching videos on your home TV. Videos on demand, effectively, where yeah. you could have this like discrete thing that represented ET or the Goonies. Yep. Before VHS tapes, well, Betamax came first by a couple years, but yeah, they, they were both before videotapes. Uh, you. There was, you watched something when it was brought. There was real to real. Yes, but that was mostly just for home videos, right? And that, yeah, so you yeah, you didn't that, you didn't go to the store and just buy a reel to reel of you know insert movie here, right? But there's a reason why the original Star Wars was in theaters for over a year, mm-hmm, and returned to theater multiple times right like there was no home video market because it 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 did not exist in 1977 when the original star wars came out like it, didn't uh, thing until... it did actually 1977 really? was when vhs hit the market in the u.s okay but when did it become like a thing well early 80s okay okay but there was home video was a thing in the late 70s it, it was, okay it was sort of like, you know, DVD was in the mid-90s, where, like, a couple people had it. Yo. Well, good for you. Yeah. I didn't get my first DVD player until, like, 2002. I had a CD burner and a DVD player in my Gateway 2000... Nice. Uh, Pentium 2 500 megahertz desktop back in the day. Yeah, see, at this time, I was rocking a Pentium 1 in an NEC with a CD-ROM. Man, like I, I, I would, I would take people's CDs and make them custom mix CDs for ten bucks a throw. <laughs> it was great. It was good times back then in middle school. I had the fanciest tech. Like I still remember when my dad announced to the family that we had a new family computer. Like how excited all of well, mostly me, but like all of us were, but mostly me. <laughs> like he's like describing this computer, and I'm like just like like my brain is like exploding with he's like talking about you know, and it's got I, the numbers are meaningless to me anymore. Like I can't I can't even like fake the numbers. And I remember the sure. 500 megahertz. Like that's what I remember. Maybe it was like 550. Uh, but like like the storage capacity and the RAM, I have no idea. I just remember, I, just, I remember making the comment. Holy cow, you could almost store an, enco- an entire game in that amount of RAM. <laughs> so it was like a lot for the time. It was probably 32 then. 32 megs? Yeah, maybe. I'm thinking based on the Pentium 1 that my parents bought in 97. Well, actually, well, it had a- 4 to 8 megs, yeah. It was a Pentium MMX. It started out with 8 meg, they upgraded to 16. <sighs> 
That's hot. Yeah. 16 megs. And it had an I it had a PCI bus too. It's not just the chip, it has it has a PCI bus. Uh, well, I mean, you think about just where we've come now, where I've got a 10-year-old computer under my desk that has 16 gigabytes of RAM, and that's not even, like, a lot in modern standards. Right. That's, like, reasonable. Yeah. So, one thing I want to talk about was uh, the Keeper playing two lies and a truth when he says, you are a very stubborn unimaginative, and non-competitive race. Mm. Well, I'll give you stubborn. <laughs> but, like, unimaginative, non-competitive, just because they don't want to relive their worst memories? Come on, man. How long have you been trapped in here? Oh, that's right, a thousand years. What I'm wondering is, is that, like, how all the other people have been doing it? They've just been reliving their worst memories this whole time? Oh, God. Yeah, no, I, I, I would totally pull a Daniel and a Jack. I would sit him out. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, after running through it two or three times and you realize, no, there's, no, there, there's, there is no way of winning here. Yeah. You know, so the only, like, the only winning move is not to play. Hmm. Uh, sorry, there is a fly in my office, so I apologize <laughs> if that gets on the recording. How sensitive is your microphone? I, it flew near it briefly, so it might have actually picked it up. Okay. But well, it, it's a pretty sensitive microphone, I think. Well, apparently, I got the wrong kind of microphone. I wanted a super cardioid or whatever. Oh, and yours is just a regular cardioid. Uh, yeah, it's a little ironic because I think this one actually was recommended by Marco as it. Well, it, it is a solid like entry level mic. Mm-hmm. If you want better, you're dropping four to five times the the money for it. How much did you pay like, for this? I didn't pay anything for it. It was a gift. But right. Had I bought it, it was seventy bucks. I mean that. Okay. But yeah, because yours was fifty. Mine, mine retails for seventy. I paid fifty. Right. So yeah, that sort of market where you're like, you know, more than the ten dollar USB Logitech mouse, but or not mouse <laughs> mic, um, more than a ten dollar Logitech mic, but less than a three hundred dollar proper mic. Right. It's Similar to backpacking equipment, where you effectively have, like, the ultra dirt cheap entry level stuff, which, like, gets the job done, but it weighs a ton, or doesn't last as long, or, 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 or. It, it, it's just, it, it, it's a long list of compromises. And then you get into, like, your, I'm starting to take this seriously category, where it definitely costs, like easily twice as much money, but like you're not breaking the bank too terribly much because it because all the stuff lasts so long that you can do it piecemeal and you, and like all the stuff lasts forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get into like the really high end. I take this very seriously category where everything starts at five hundred dollars, like everything. Right. I you just know, I just discovered that. I didn't notice this before. My mic is an Amazon Prime exclusive model. Wow. Yeah? Is it like the color that's exclusive or what? Yeah, it's matte black and the non the one for plebs is glossy black. Ah. Yeah. Whatever. No, mine's, just, mine's just a mic. <laughs> but it's been a nice little diversion in... Microphones nothing. weekly? It's not just about microphones, though. It's about like... I think at this point, our listeners are used to our diversions. 
Yeah, but they're also used to us naming them, and I can't think of a good name for this one. <laughs> That's true. Oh well. Uh, yeah, I guess just like you know, like what your hobbies will cost you weekly. Yeah. So, do you have anything else you want to talk about on this episode? I think not really. No, I think we've covered most everything. Uh, yeah, it, it's a it, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, saw the they're still in the simulation thing from a mile away. Oh yeah, and yeah, that's. And funnily enough, that is not the only time that in, in the Stargate franchise that there will be a, a simulation pretending to be the real world, including General Hammond. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I love Stargate, obviously, uh, but it's seldom ultra original. <laughs> As evidenced by the fact that they ripped this... Uh, episode id idea from star trek also not an original idea even when star trek did it well star trek is also not very original sure. to be fair <laughs> it is one of those standard sci-fi tropes the uh, yeah you know, that alternate. you're trapped in a simulation yeah mm-hmm. i mean to the point that uh, there was the episode from season three two it doesn't matter rick and morty episode where they're in a simulation inside a simulation Inside a simulation. Oh my god, Rick. How dumb are you? You're inside a simulation of a simulation inside another giant simulation. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they only go they, like they only go three layers deep, but still. Indeed. Wrap it up. Alright, so well, uh, I'm glad you listened to us this week on Stargate Weekly. If you want more, you can check out our website, stargateweekly.com, to download all of our episodes. You can also subscribe to us in iTunes or Google Play or using whatever podcast app of your choice should bring it up. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Stargate Weekly. Uh, You can go to our Facebook page, Stargate Weekly, which isn't very exciting, really. Twitter's where it's at. Uh, You can... Follow the two of us on Twitter. I am at Tyrannicus on Twitter. I'm Gamicus on Twitter. And feel free to send us any questions, comments, etc. You can also send us an email at StargateWeekly at gmail.com. And if you enjoy listening to us talk about 20-year-old sci-fi shows, you should check out our other show, Delta Flyer, where we basically do the same thing that we do for Stargate with Star Trek Voyager. Right, including the parts where we get a little star trek in our stargate we get a little stargate in our star trek so we can't help ourselves this is true all right yeah stay tuned after the end of this show because we're gonna be doing something special So, Thad and I decided that we were going to do Miss Rainbow Pie's Twitter 31-day 
Stargate moments challenge thing. I don't know if it has a better official name. 31 days of Stargate. 30, he beat me to it. And we also decided that just having Thad and I on it was not going to be enough. So we decided to bring in our first cross-podcast guest, Ben Nielsen. Hello, good evening, everybody. Uh, ben, you may remember from our episode Parallax from Delta Flyer. And if you don't, why aren't you listening to both of our podcasts? Seriously. You're missing out on a lot of really good Janeway uh, accent work from me. So. Yes. <laughs> So we're going to go through our first seven picks, and it, this will be 31 Days of Stargate Weekly. Weekly. <laughs> after Trek with Chris Hardwick? Or after uh, after Gate with Chris Hardwick? Yes. Chris Hardwick is not one of our guests. <laughs> what? Man, I wish Chris Hardwick had done After Trek. I probably would have liked it more. Right. <laughs> so let's kick it off with uh, with Ben. Tell us, number one, when did you fall in love with the franchise? So I think last time you asked me about Trek, I had like a I don't really remember answer, but I actually remember exactly when I fell in love with this franchise um, because I was in seventh grade um, and that would have been 2002-ish or something. So like during the run, um, but my English teacher, once we did a literature unit on like sci-fi and fantasy, brought in the movie for us to watch. So I, yeah, so I started with the movie, but it was obviously years after everybody else had seen the movie. Um, And so then after seeing the movie, realized that UPN, which was all I had in sort of my farm childhood, um, was doing SG-1 sort of syndicated episodes. And so got to see those sporadically and then really didn't do a proper watch through until I got to college because that's, uh, you know, sometime towards the end of that is when I think Hulu got all of it. Mm-hmm. So I got to actually go through and, and watch SG-1. And then at that point, um, Universe was on. And so it was college. So we had sci-fi and I could watch it. Um, and so that was uh, that was my love. Uh, seventh grade English class. Thank you, Mrs. Neal, for showing me that movie. Wow. All right. That. Top that. <laughs> yeah, I'm jealous. I never got to see Stargate in school. Uh, so, uh, I'm a fellow uh, UPN syndication fan here. That's where nice. I first encountered the show because I didn't have cable growing up either. Uh, and I had seen a few episodes here and there, but uh, what really got me going and got me into it and made me start setting the VCR to record it every night uh, was... Uh, the two-parter at the beginning of season six, Redemption. Ooh, good one. Yeah, what, the how I had answered this uh, on Twitter was that I couldn't just pin one down, but I, I like I would have to say that like when Jack first got the date, the ancient database downloaded into his head, but that's largely because I had for some reason not included the movie into like my thinking of the franchise. Even though, I mean, obviously it kicked it all off, but like for some reason I just have it like locked in. That it's like, no, it's just the TV shows. That's the franchise. Uh, and so, yeah, it would have to be the movie because, I, I man, I, I must have watched that thing like three or four times before I ever saw the, the, the TV show, maybe more than that. Um, and I, I really loved the movie. It was really, really well done. Um, it, it's always It's always nice to get original sci-fi. Yeah. So... Yeah, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna steal your answer and, and say the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
it was confusing for a while when I started watching the show because the characters are similar, but by the time you get into like season five, they've deviated quite a ways. And so I'm like, wow, this Jack O'Neill guy, he really turned his life around. He's quite happy. He's got friends (laughs) again. (laughs) Like what a, what a remarkable success story. Well done. And Daniel Jackson got ripped. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have a problem with that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Thad, lead us off for number two, your favorite iteration. All right. So for me, uh, my favorite iteration is Atlantis. I do like all of the iterations. Well, okay. I like most of the iterations, but Atlantis is the one that I just adore. No, for me, it's, it's, it's all about SG-1. I really enjoy all the iterations that were either in a movie theater or on television as well. Um, and so, <laughs> but uh, SG-1 is certainly uh, my absolute favorite. I just, uh, it's the one that I will watch back the most because I think it has the most significant standalones. So you can just like randomly pick one and put it on and there's not a whole lot of backstory you have to look into. Though Atlantis is really good about that too. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that there is a lot of overlap. So... Question, Ben. Does that mean you also really like Stargate Infinity, or were you not thinking of that one? Was that ever on TV? Yes. Oh, well, then no. (laughs) (laughs) That barely registers as a thing that existed. It. I just occasionally think I had like a drunken dream once, but then I'm like, oh no, that was produced. Never mind. So although SG-1 is my favorite iteration, for number three, my favorite season is the latter half of the latter half. <laughs> so the sec- so like the last like group of ten episodes made for Stargate Universe. It was released in half seasons anyway, uh, so it, it gave itself its own sort of like natural breaking point, uh, and the the story went to like this great. Like this great place of sci-fi. It was just fantastic sci-fi, and, and and I love it so much. I need to I need to rewatch it soon. Yeah, no, the second half of Universe season two was pretty excellent. I would agree with that. Uh, for me, though, I went with season three of Atlantis. Ooh, uh, there's just a whole bunch of really good episodes, including one of my absolute favorite episodes of all of Stargate Sunday. Nice. Uh, yeah, I refuse to play by your rules um, because, and this is why, Stargate SG-1 is more episodic, and so to talk about seasons as like singular pieces is harder because there's not necessarily as big of season arcs, though there still are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said like any anywhere from season like three to six of of SG-1, Dang. but but if you make me play by your antiquated rules, it is season <laughs> four probably. Just going through and. I basically went through three, four, five, and six, and did like a yes, no, and season four had the most yeses. Basically, all of them are good in season four for me. That's fair. Yeah, I can I can get behind that. But what is your favorite episode, Ben? Favorite episode in general? Again, I refuse to play by your rules. <laughs> uh, I have several. Um, obviously, natural ones like Nemesis and Threads and Two Hundred. And, you know, that type of thing. But um, two that I will pull out, um, just because they're not answers to other questions, um, would be uh, Summit, which is sort of the um, uh, system lords all meet. Oh, and Daniel yeah. Jackson has, like, a bioweapon. And then, bum, 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 Osiris shows up. It's amazing. And they um, eat all the other ghouls. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, that that two-parter is like peak why I'm watching this. Um, there are gods running around and interpersonal problems, and Daniel Jackson is facing a moral conundrum. So uh, certainly Summit, and then the most emotionally impactful one for me is uh, Menace, um, where we get to see where the replicators came from. Um, and it ends in it ends in perhaps the best scene for me um in the gate room so oh yeah yeah those are those are some of mine um i as as it might come across i think the show does the best job of blending action sci-fi fun adventure science stuff and really strong acting and really strong writing um whereas i think a lot of other sci-fi shows tend to go for one or the other um Certainly SG-1 is the one for me that does really solid character work, and so Menace is done. Yeah. That's a good pick. Yeah. Stuart? Tao of Rodney. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, that's good. Hands down. So I also went Rodney-centric and uh, went the, with the shrine. the shrine. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Oh, man. Like, those two, I... I love them both. It, it, it was it was a hard it was a hard choice for me between those two. For the record, the shrine does appear again on my list. <laughs> so uh, maybe I'm not dialed enough on like Stargate, like the like the greater Stargate Twitterverse or something. So I don't know for number five what other people consider to be an underrated episode. Yeah, that's such a loaded question, right? Because everyone's underrated is is good for someone. Okay, so I actually approached this scientifically. Okay. I went to IMDb. Nerd. And saw that the vast majority of Stargate episodes have ratings of high sevens or eights. As they should be. So I went with... So I excluded all of those from possibilities. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I appreciate your approach on this. Sure. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, I couldn't then use that same metric for underrated scene later on, because how in the world am I supposed to know what scenes are underrated? <laughs> or underrated character. Yeah. I don't even remember who I chose for underrated character. Anyway, what did you choose for underrated episode? I went with... Uh, and I can see this, why people would would have voted it low, but I went with Space Race from Season 7. The, I love that ooh, one. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not related to the rest of the storyline at that point, but I think it's just a lot of fun. It is, and I don't care that it's just pod racing, because I like pod racing. Exactly. <laughs> it's no coincidence that that very similar episode is one of my favorites from Voyager. Drive, yeah. Yeah, getting that cross-promotion in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I was not nearly as scientific. I that that approach it was brilliant and did not occur to me at all. So I just had to kind of wing it. Um, I went for and I, I couldn't look up the episode title. Uh, but the when they gate into the museum and there's the gala going on and they get accused yes. of being rebels. Yeah, it's called the bad guys. Okay, but quite honestly, how anyone would underrate that episode is beyond me. But I just like it. It struck me as one that maybe like someone wouldn't think of, but it's like such a, like a perfect encapsulation of what SG One is. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's a great pick. I also tried to be somewhat scientific with this, and so went to IMDb and looked at the lowest rated, um, and said that it had to be in the lowest like twenty, so like twenty least rated episodes. 
Um, and so my choice was um, The Light from Season 4, Episode 18. Oh, the drug addiction one. Drug addiction one, yes. Um, in particular, um, that will show up again when we talk about underrated scenes. But um, <laughs> that one, it's a really good single-use episode. I don't think it really references many other episodes. Um, and it is a uh, Alien of the Week. The Alien just happens to be a light show this time around. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's good. And hopefully that's someone's favorite episode, because my favorite part about underrated episodes is that someone out there is going to like this one the most. Yeah, I feel really like bad about my pick now because <laughs> you guys like put work into it, and I put it in at work. <laughs> you didn't pick Emancipation, so you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Or Hathor? Never. Do you know how much higher ranked Hathor is than a lot of other episodes? That's a crime in and of itself. It's insane. It's I don't even think it's in the top like bottom 50 episodes what no like how i yeah right <laughs> unless they this unless imdb like refuses out of principle to even put it in the ranking i don't think it's emancipation there. is in the bottom 10 right it's the last one <laughs> okay as it should all right be. well at least <laughs> it's where it that. belongs it's where it belongs all right fad yo number six what is your favorite overarching plot well as we were talking about underrated episode, I noticed that I had never actually answered this one. Uh, but so Ben, number six, yes. what is your favorite overarching plot? So my favorite um, is from SG One as well, um, and I think it's the introduction through pretty much elimination of the Tok'ra. Uh, the Tok'ra are fascinating to me just as a concept um, because this show. Because it always has to up the ante. One of the tropes of the show is that every time you've beaten the bat, like there's another another bad guy that happens to be worse. We just don't know about them yet. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the introduction of the Tokra sort of reverses that angle of, oh, we have a you know uh, sort of a monoculture of these worms that live in people, and they're all bad, and they're all garbage, and they're all terrible, except not <laughs> sometimes. Um, and so they're they're really fascinating, and I really enjoyed the introduction of the subterfuge angle. Um, though I don't know why they didn't win, since they seem to have at least a couple people on every single ship in the fleet. And well, they don't every get completely planet. wiped out. No, just really taken quite low. Yeah. So yeah, they're my absolute favorite. Their ep- episodes with Tokra rank very highly in my rewatching, um, and I just enjoy the idea of. Someone who's clearly helpful to the Tauri, but they they kind of need us too, and so it's the mm-hmm. it's like when the free Jafar show, uh, show up as well. Yeah, having these sort of equal alliances are really cool. So yeah, I'd say all Toker episodes. I can't think of a, a dud in the mix. Hallowed are the Ori. Nice. <laughs> okay, I like that. So I did actually come up with something while we were talking about underrated episodes. And for me, go on. Similar to Ben. Well, I thought maybe you had more things to talk about the Ori. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I mean it, it, it's kind of like the opposite of. I mean, now I'm going to, but it's kind of the opposite of Ben's perspective. Where as before, we had been introduced to the you know the ascended ancients, and they were all, if not good, barring Anubis, but uh, if not good, then like you know like. 
lawful good or something. Like they, they were more on our side than someone else's side. And then along come the Ori who are just like just breaking every rule of the ascended beings. And the other group are just like, not going to do anything about it. And how quickly their influence spreads across the galaxy. The Supergate episode, you know, like, hey, doesn't that look like, well, it can't be because I was going to say Stargate. And just, like all of it, um, you know, to Ben's point of upping the ante, oh, you know, they, they defeat the Gould and then these guys come along and it's just dang. I think it's actually the exact same principle, just in the opposite direction, right? It's a good way of breaking the trope of alien species. Every single one of them is exactly the same because we need them to stand in for some human failing. I really enjoy Mm -hmm. when a franchise can complicate that narrative, and they certainly do with the Ori. Yeah. So for me, uh, what I came up with was was Atlantis recruiting allies throughout the run of the show, that by the end they had there were several groups that, you know, would join with them to fight insert enemy here. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And that, to me, dovetails nicely into my number seven pick for this week. Uh, my favorite female character, Elizabeth Weir. For a second, I thought you were going to say Taylor, and I'm like, I don't even know you at all. <laughs> no, you do know me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ooh, that's a great choice. It's also my choice. Rachel Luttrell played her character very, very well, but I just do not like that character. Same. So I did not go with Elizabeth Weir, but I went with another person who commanded Atlantis. I went with the obvious choice of Samantha Carter. Nice. Yes. I mean, obviously a solid choice. I I, I was saving Samantha Carter for something else. And then we realized I was actually saving a man tapping for something else. But we will get to that <laughs> in next week's picks. So stay tuned. Great holy armies shall be gathered and trained to fight all who embrace evil. In the name of the gods, ships shall be built to carry our warriors out amongst the stars. And we will spread origin to all the unbelievers. The power of the Ori will be felt far and wide. And the wicked shall be vanquished. Hallowed are the Ori. Hallowed are the Ori.